0: Good morning, Christchurch. Happy Palm Sunday. What? This is not a palm branch? This is a Michigan palm branch. We don't exactly have the sandy climate and sunny weather outside for the true palm branch, but we are waving these today. I hope you had some of your own Palm Sunday celebrations as you are uh, read the passage, the Triumphal Entry, We're coming up to this part of the story. We begin Holy Week this week, and I want to be looking with you at the passage that immediately follows the triumphal entry. Uh, We're looking at Jesus' kingship today. I think about kingship sometimes. I remember my days back at Cutlerville Christian School playing King on the Mountain, uh, especially during snow. I hate to bring that up as we are on the precipice of spring, but... Uh, we would have these giant snow piles, I think you know what I'm talking about, and uh, the guys, this was fifth and sixth grade, we were the oldest ones in the school, we'd play king on the mountain, you'd try to get to the top, people would be tackling each other, throwing it, throwing each other down, it was definitely the occasion for a fight or two. I was not the biggest of guys but i was scrappy and i was opportunistic and i would look for the ways and i would have my moment in the sun of of being king on the mountain that is until the true king came his name was jim wyatt Uh, he ended up being a four-year starter at central michigan had a cup of coffee with the new york giants uh, at offensive tackle Uh, He was 6'7", 325 pounds. I don't know about in the fifth grade, but he was big. And he was the king. You could be up there, you could be a pretender, you could be a contender until he came. And then you recognized who the true king was. And the same thing is true here. Uh, We may not recognize who the true king is, uh, but all of the signs are there. We recognize that from just the way the Old Testament prophecy is being fulfilled, and we know the story that Jesus is the king. But it does raise a question for us. Are we ready for a king? I mean, truly, are we ready for a king to come in to disrupt what is going on there? Because certainly when Jesus comes in, he disrupts what is happening in Jerusalem. He disrupts the the ways and the expectations of the Jewish people. And and the same thing is true in our lives. The king will disrupt us. And I know for myself, there are areas of my heart that I'm a little bit slow to give over to the kingship of Jesus. I want to hold on to some things. And we'll come back to that uh, a little bit Later, as we walk through, but I want to look at verses 41 to 48. So let me read them for you. When he drew near, that is Jesus, and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And then Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, The chief priests, the scribes, the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. We pray with me? Lord, we'd like to hang on your words today. We'd like to hear, we'd like to understand, we'd like to grow. We'd love for these words to penetrate our hearts. We'd love for our eyes to be open to your kingship. So Holy Spirit, will you come? And will you attend this teaching even today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about the kingship of Jesus, I I want to get to know this king. I want to see how he wails. I want to see and hear the words that he teaches. And I want us finally to see the war that he wages as he comes. But let's start with this weeping over Jerusalem, this wailing that he gives us, uh, or that he demonstrates for us. Interesting passage here, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace, but they are hidden From your eyes, here we have some of that same theme that we picked up last week with Bartimaeus and the disciples. The disciples had things hidden from their eyes. The people of Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders, have things hidden from their eyes. We need God to come in and make them clear. Part of it becomes clear as we see the things that Jesus is wailing over, the things he's weeping over. There are a few things that we recognize here about the nature of the king, the nature of his ministry, as we reflect on his weeping and his wailing. The first thing is this, just that our king has a heart. Uh, we we see that, that God, when he comes in the form of a man, so 100% God, 100% man, It is one that has a heart for his people, has a heart for the plan. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, by this weeping, he proves not only that he loves like a brother, those for whose sake he became man, but also that God made to flow into human nature the spirit of fatherly love. We, we meet God here, a God of, of deep compassion. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 103 talks about that. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Here we see the compassion of God on display as he shares his hearts for us. But we also see that which we've come to know as we've studied the book of Lamentations, as we've had services of lament, we we come to see this form uh, of address. And, And here Jesus laments before his Father the brokenness of the world. He laments The fact that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, that there is Roman control, that there is subjugation, that there is slavery, that there is imprisonment, that there are all of these things that are going on. And and Jesus says, would that you, even you, would know the things that made for peace, that made for shalom. Things are broken. And Jesus cries out to his Father, about that. This is something that we, as I've mentioned, have studied before. And I think one of the reasons why God has led us to study that is because we need it at a time like this, when we are experiencing a worldwide pandemic. Uh, And we see numbers of cases mounting as we see numbers of people who have passed away mounting as it gets closer and closer to home. And we realize that we might lose friends, uh, we might lose relatives because of this disease when we realize the impact economically and socially and otherwise that this is having, we cry out to God and we say, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Please, Lord, come quickly. And this is what we are encouraged to do because we, we do not understand everything. We cannot control everything, but there is one to whom we are encouraged to go and that is Yahweh himself, and to cry out. And Jesus here gives us an example of this. He gives us a a picture of what it means to lament before his Father and to cry out to him. Putting these two things together, the heart of Jesus and the brokenness of the world, we, we see that most specifically in the people that Jesus laments over, he, he recognizes that these are not just ideologies, these are not just um, ideas that he's talking about, but it's actual people, would that you, even you, would know the things that made for peace. One writer puts it this way, he says, We know but little of true Christianity if we do not feel a deep concern about the souls of unconverted people. People, A lazy indifference uh, about the spiritual state of others may be the path of least resistance, but it is not the heart of the Savior. David himself talks about rivers of waters run down my eyes because men do not keep your law. Uh, Or the Apostle Paul said, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow of my heart for my brethren. And I have to ask myself, do I feel that same level of compassion? Is my heart pricked? Am I broken over the state of those around me? And I'll be honest with you, uh, so often I'm not. I am uh, just in my own lane, doing my own thing not necessarily bad, but my heart isn't pricked about it. Other times, I, I truthfully don't want to be bothered. It's it's the path of least resistance. But as Jesus comes, specifically now weeping over a people who will reject him, a people who will unjustly try him, a people who will uh, be responsible for nailing him to the cross, and he weeps Over them there's a big challenge for us here once again just making application to our day Uh, we have our own anxieties and fears and our relationship with Christ and how it works into our world what about those who are not followers of Jesus and and how are they navigating the days of coronavirus our our pandemic Are, are we weeping over Uh, their lostness? Are we running to them with the heart, uh, the heart of a king who has compassion for a people? The second thing I want to observe with you is the words of the king. It was the very last little bit that we read there, the last two verses, 47 and 48. He was teaching daily in the temples, chief priests, scribes, the principal, men of the people. They were seeking to destroy him, But they couldn't do anything, verse 48, because the people were hanging on his words. What was Jesus talking about? Well, if you go to Matthew chapter 21 to 24, you see a number of things that Jesus is talking about from the time when he comes in triumphal entry, cleanses the temple till the time when he is arrested and tried and eventually crucified. And he's talking about the parable, things like the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, uh, the wedding feast, paying taxes to Caesar, The resurrection, uh, whose son is the Christ, taking Psalm 110 and applying it to himself. He goes through this whole section of woes for the teachers of the law. And in all of these things, Jesus is speaking to a disruption of the current order. He's speaking to the teachers of the law who do not say, uh, who do not see, who do not recognize to whom eyes is hidden the truth that Jesus is the King. But the people are recognizing this. The people are hanging on this. And again, this gets us back to what we were talking about earlier. The the teachers of the law, they want to they are seeking ways to destroy Jesus. They are unhappy with the disruption that has come into their lives. And and this is one of the things that we have to wrestle with. When we Give fealty to Jesus as our king. Fealty was the thing that you, the allegiance that you would swear to a king. When we swear allegiance to our king, then we have to acknowledge his kingship and that the things that he says goes and the way that he orders life is the way that we are to walk uh, in his life uh, and and to walk in our lives. And, And I am unwilling to do that. I want to be king Uh, and my guess is you have areas in your life just like these scribes and Pharisees that were unhappy that Jesus has come and declaring kingship in. But the bottom line is the people hang on his words because they see an authority in Jesus that they don't see in the in the scribes and the teachers of the law and they also sense a hope because frankly the order that they're living in isn't getting them too far. Uh, but here is one who who might bring hope. And this is indeed what the Messiah is to bring. Mention Zechariah 9, the king comes riding on the foal uh, of a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, this is the passage that was associated with the triumphal entry. This was a passage that was associated with the Messiah. But also in that passage, verse twelve, uh, the the king is said, Behold, this word is for you, prisoners of hope. The king indeed brings hope to his people. And this is a theme I want us to explore and come back to as we end this. But we need to understand that these words also go along with Jesus's action. And this is the final thing, the war of the king. Jesus executes the office of king. Those of you who are studying your Westminster Shorter Catechism will recognize that Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. So here Jesus enters as a king the temple, and he begins to drive out those who are selling, saying to them, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is entering the courts of the temple, most likely the outermost court, the court of the Gentiles, the court of nations. Here in this court, Uh, Merchants have set up for long-distance travelers a place to to buy sacrifices. Uh, You didn't have to carry your goat with you from Cappadocia. You could uh, come and you could buy your goat here. What's the issue? There's a couple of ways that I've heard this passage used that I'm not sure are exactly right. It's not that there should be no commerce in the temple. I don't think that's the issue. Jesus wasn't afraid of people selling. Uh, He wasn't upset about people selling the animals. Um, Of course, if they're doing it in a usurious way, if they're doing it to make money to benefit themselves and not being fair, that would be a different issue. Um, The other way that I hear people using this passage is that we need to pray more in, in the church, and, and that's certainly true. Prayer is has got to be our meat and drink. But I don't think that this passage is about, you know, to be used in terms of beating people over the head to pray more or not to sell anything within the bounds of the church. What's going on here is that these people have taken over the court of the Gentiles. And so therefore, people who are coming from the nations have no place where they can pray, no place where they can gather in order to, to make their approach to Yahweh, the true God of the universe. That's why if you read Isaiah 53, which is the passage that Jesus is quoting here, Uh, My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, The other synoptics uh, pick up on this a little bit more, and the the emphasis certainly in Isaiah 53 is that foreigners will come. And and what Jesus is saying here and what Jesus is doing is he's saying uh, there is an opening to the Father that we are tearing down the distinction, the the fabric that exists between people and their God. There is an enemy in this world that I am focused on defeating, and that enemy is the sin and rebellion that lies in our hearts and that prevents us from rich, deep fellowship with the Father. So Jesus comes to proclaim with his actions as he makes war, as it will, he comes to proclaim that uh, that man-made interference between God and man needs to be done away with, and we need to clear the path. Now, what's most remarkable about this is Jesus doesn't just enact this sort of in this parable, but this Uh, This action, this living parable, points us even deeper to the action that Jesus will take on the cross. You remember in John chapter 2, when Jesus clears the temple, the John's account there, he he very specifically says uh, that the temple is the body of Christ but he was speaking about the temple of his body, John 2, verse 21. So when Jesus clears the temple, when he drives out the money changers, he is pointing to the fact that he will undergo the scourge that he is bringing on this particular group of people. He will undergo the scourge in order to open up the passageway to God, when Jesus is on the cross, and as we are entering Holy Week, and we begin to think about these things, when Jesus is on the cross and He cries out at the end, "Tetelestai," it is finished. You remember the the curtain in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. And it is saying we now have entry into the very house of God, into the very heart of God. There is no longer any barrier. Through Christ, through Christ, we make our approach to God. And this is the heart of what Jesus is telling us as kings. This is why the people were hanging on his every word. This is why they sensed the hope. Because here we have one who doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just point to a king, but he is the king. He is the king who enters into battle on our behalf. Who defeats all his and our enemies. And he comes to make us his people. He uh, enslaves us, makes us prisoners, but not of destruction, but prisoners of hope. And this is where I want to end with you today, because these are truly days in which we need hope. We need to recognize that though there are evil things in the land, we serve a king who has defeated those things ultimately in the cross, who is working a complete redemption, not only of our hearts and our relationships with him, but he is making all things new. Are you a prisoner of that hope? One writer puts it this way, he says this, the hope that God promises us as a result of his keeping grace, as a result of his kingship, is a hope is in the midst of intense spiritual warfare. Not only is this hope not the personal sort of peace and prosperity of the materialistic American dream, but neither is it merely an emotional repose due to the absence of guilt or freedom from worry. This hope references a fortress in the middle of a battlefield. God promises to protect us ultimately from the devil's ability to destroy us eternally. But we do hear his terrors on the outside. We do feel the rumbles of his engines of war. And at times we are wounded. The pestilence still stalks. To put it another way, because we are united with Christ, we will be united to his sufferings and the humiliation that he experienced while he was here on earth. But finally, and this is the hope, we will also be united to the strength that he provides by his spirit, and we will be resurrected with him at the great day. Christ will never leave us or forsake us. He will be with us to the very end of the age. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has entered the city as a king. And he is showing us here that he, by his actions, in his warfare, in uh, all that he does, has made a way between you and me and God. He has brought about the reconciliation and is bringing about the reconciliation of all things. And this makes us, invites us to be prisoners of this hope i am there these are not easy days uh, and i don't know all of the reasons why and i don't know all the wherefores i am lamenting but i am not lamenting as one without hope because my god is king amen let's pray father we thank you for this word We pray that you would meet us in the midst of us and remind us that you are our King. Lord, thank you for showing us your heart. Thank you for reminding us of your words. And thank you most of all for the warfare that you have waged against our ultimate enemy and the victory that you have won. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed Lord's Day. We'll hope to see you soon.